Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for October 29th, Reformation Sunday, and also the 22nd Sunday after Pentecost. And today, as we continue our exploration of 120 Bible stories, year one, we're looking at the eighth story in this series entitled, Abraham's Visitors. In the textbook, it's on page 24. And in the Bible, it's parts of Genesis 18 and Genesis 21. And this is the Lord's visit to Abraham and to Sarah, telling them about the birth of Isaac. So specifically, the verses we'll be looking at are Genesis 18, verses 1 through 21. Then we'll skip ahead past there through the rest of 18, 19, and 20, and pick up the story again in Genesis 21, verses 1 through 7. So without further ado, the story of Abraham's visitors. Genesis 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him, to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight... Do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. So as our story begins, Abraham is at his tent. Uh, He's camped by the Oaks of Mamre, and the Lord appears to Abraham. This time, the Lord does not appear to Abraham in a dream, but he he appears to him in human form. Now, the, the technical term for what happens here is called anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism. And we can divide that up into, into two parts, anthropo and morphism. Anthropo or anthropos is is the word for for man or for people, person in Greek. So we get say the um, the topic of anthropology from the word anthropo or anthropos. And morphism, you can hear the word morph in there that means form. So anthropomorphism, which is kind of a a technical term we hear now and then in theology, it means that God has appeared in the form of man in human form. So here, God is present with Abraham, looks like a man, but he is still in fact God. We do make a distinction here between an Old Testament anthropomorphism and the incarnation of Jesus. We know specifically when Jesus is incarnate, when he becomes flesh. He is flesh and blood and and, and muscles and bones and fat and everything that a human being has in in, in his or her body. Um, And and, and so the, the incarnation, Jesus is fully human. 
We're not so specific when it comes to Old Testament anthropomorphisms. We know that the Lord has taken on the appearance of a man in the Old Testament at times, but we don't know if he's actually become flesh and has, has flesh and bones and blood and things like that. And so it's, it's more of a general term. At any rate, the Lord is present with Abraham. Now, there are three men standing in front of Abraham, which leads people to say, are these all three persons of the Holy Trinity in human form? Is it Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all appearing anthropomorphically? And the answer is, no, probably not. In Genesis 19, the Lord continues on his way down to see Sodom and Gomorrah for himself. And when he rescues Lot and Lot's daughters from, from Sodom, and from, I guess from Sodom, um, two angels go to Lot's house. And our conclusion, our best guess then is that the Lord and two of his angels are the ones who appear to Abraham by the Oaks of Mamre. We can't be totally sure, but that's kind of our best, our best guess from, from how the text reads. The fact that there are three, it might be an allusion to the Holy Trinity, um, that as God appears to Abraham, he appears with, with you know, the, the number three uh, kind of in the air. But, but as far as we know, it's the Lord and two angels who appear to, to Abraham. God is on his way to see Sodom for himself, to see what, uh, what, what, what sins are actually going on there. He knows already. He knows all things, but still, as part of his, his diligence as, as God, he actually has come down to earth and taken on human form to, uh, to, to visit and witness the depravity of Sodom firsthand before he passes judgment. Abraham sees these men appear. And, and, of course, there's this long tradition of, of, of um, Middle Eastern hospitality that when, when strangers arrive at your home or at your tent, you, uh, you offer them food, you offer them um, refreshment, perhaps uh, uh, water for washing their feet. And that's exactly what Abraham does here. He, uh, he calls, he calls the, uh, the, the head visitor, Lord, um, he, he recognized that this is, in fact, God in, in human form. And so he calls upon God and, and his, his fellow travelers to stop and, and to rest and, and to allow Abraham to serve them by preparing them a meal. And they agree. The Lord and, and, and his fellow travelers say, do as you have said. So we read in verse 6 and following, And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Now, this is quite a meal for three visitors. 
Abraham tells his wife, Sarah, quick, make cakes out of three seahs of flour. And a seah is equal to about seven quarts of flour. So they have more bread, more, more cakes than, than, than a human being could possibly eat. But Abraham is creating this, this huge feast to honor these guests appropriately. Likewise, rather than just serve up, you know, an eight-ounce steak for each one, he, uh, he has an entire calf prepared. And so there's really food here to, to eat, or not to eat, well, there's food to eat. There's, there's food here to, to feed almost an army um, as he serves the cakes and the calf and the curds and the milk. Um, but, but he, again, he wants to honor the guests with this, with this big feast, and he doesn't take part. Having served them, he then stands by under the tree while they eat this meal. As the host, he's also a servant here. And rather than partake of the meal with his guests, he stays and remains only to serve them throughout the meal. Verse 9 and following, they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. So this section here is really the purpose for, the main purpose anyway, for the Lord's stop at Abraham's house or his tent on the way to see Sodom and Gomorrah for himself. It's to make this promise that in a year's time, Sarah will have a son. Now, the text says that, that Abraham and Sarah are old, advanced in years. That's absolutely true. Sarah is about 90 years old. Abraham is about 99 years old. So, as the text mentions, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She's, she's well past menopause. If a 99-year-old and a 90-year-old husband and wife are, are, can't have kids these days. It's certainly true for Abraham and Sarah back then. And in addition, Sarah has been barren all her life. Even before menopause, she couldn't conceive and have children. So, so it seems outrageous, outrageous now that she would have a child. And so Sarah laughs. Now, she'll deny laughing later on, but, but there's more than one possible reason for laughter. It, it could be 
uh, a laugh like there is no way that's going to happen. So a, a laugh of doubt, a laugh of almost scorn that, that, that why would the Lord toy with us this way? But it's also equally and perhaps contextually more possible that, that Sarah is laughing with wonder and delight. Can this really be? God's made this promise before. We've kind of held on to it. Could it really be that finally in the next year, I'm going to hold this baby in my arms? And so she might be laughing for, for wonderment and joy. Almost, you know, kind of a, a, a this is too good to be true disbelief, not really doubt, but, 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 but kind of like when how I, I contemplate what heaven must be like, I can't really imagine. So I just got to kind of, you know, laugh and say, I'll, I'll enjoy it when I get there. Um, so, so Sarah hears this promise and, 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 and laughs because it's, 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 it's almost too good to be true. So the Lord asks Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and, 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 and wonder at this? And then the Lord says to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? And of course, the answer is no. And so the Lord promises to Abraham, at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. By this time, Sarah's a little bit fearful, and she says, no, I didn't laugh. And God said, no, no, you laughed. And you almost wonder if he is laughing with her. With that, we're going to skip ahead to Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. I think I said we'd read through, uh, through verse 21 in chapter 18 before, but we actually stop here because now in Genesis 18, 16 and following, we get to the story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, Abraham intercedes with the Lord for Sodom and Gomorrah because he knows his nephew Lot and his family live there. And so Abraham goes back and forth to the Lord until the Lord promises that he will spare the city if ten righteous are found there. As it turns out, ten righteous are not found there. Only Lot and his daughters escape. However, they do escape. In other words, the Lord rescues these three out of Sodom before he destroys the city. Even though they make up, you know, I don't know, 0.1% of the population or whatever the population of Sodom might be, the Lord doesn't say, I'm not going to miss those three, let them die with the rest. He delivers his people. And there's comfort for us in that um, because we live in a world where, where the Christian church is, is kind of on the wane. We know that the Lord will someday return to judge living and the dead and that this, this world, this universe will, will perish. Um, but the Lord will not forget one of his people. He will not forget us. He will gather us all into his kingdom. Anyways, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah take place. Abraham goes and, and visits a, 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 another, another man, a ruler named Abimelech. He tries to pass off Sarah as his sister again. Doesn't work out well. And by that time, 12 months have passed. And uh, it's time for Isaac to be born. So we kind of pick up the story of Isaac in Genesis 21, verses 1 through 7. 
And Genesis 21 begins, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. So it, it, it almost sounds from Genesis 21 verse 1 as if, you know, the, the Lord is the father of the child. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. But, but this isn't like the Virgin Mary later on. Um, Abraham is the father. Sarah is the mother, and, and, and the Lord visits and, and does what he has promised. He causes this 99-year-old man and this 90-year-old woman to become first-time parents. Imagine taking care of a newborn baby as 90-plus-old as, as parents. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Remember, Abraham is the father of Ishmael already through Sarah's servant Hagar, but God has made clear that Ishmael is not the child he has promised. So now we have Isaac, the son of the, of, of, of the promise. And because he's the son of the promise, um, Abraham is sure to circumcise Isaac when he's eight days old as God has commanded him. So Isaac is now part of God's promise, God's covenant. And we read in verse 5, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And uh, that verse is added in, one, because Sarah is so overjoyed that she is finally a mother, that she has, has Isaac as her son. And that verse is there because the name Isaac itself means laughter. So it's, 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 this, it's kind of this wonderful thing that, that as, as they waited for this promise for a long time, as Isaac is finally born, when they're, they're, they're you know, Abraham's 100 and Sarah's now, what, 91 or so, um, Sarah laughed when, when she heard the promise a year before. Now she laughs again for joy at the promise fulfilled. And it's such a joyful time that she, she names her, her son Laughter. She names him Isaac. And she says, and, and everybody will laugh over me and with me for joy too, because Sarah is no longer barren. Sarah has, Sarah has a child. And then our, our text finishes with this final verse, uh, verse 7 of chapter 20, uh, 21. And she, Sarah, said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So, as the Lord asked the, uh, in, in chapter 8, verse 14, Is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is, nope. 91-year-old Sarah is a mom, and Abraham is the father of Isaac, and the son of laughter is born. So we have for our text today the birth of a miracle child. And, and so we want to take a look real quick here about how, how this story points to Christ. And, and the first way the story points to Christ is in that anthropomorphism we talked about before. Again, God appearing in human form in the Old Testament is not quite the same as the incarnation. Uh, 
as far as we know, he doesn't have, um, he doesn't become flesh. He only appears as a man in the Old Testament. However, as God takes on human form and walks among sinners to see what's really going on at Sodom and Gomorrah, so Jesus will become flesh and walk among sinners to, uh, to declare to them his law and declare to them his gospel. And while God walks in human form here, ultimately to bring judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus becomes flesh, becomes even more human in order to walk among sinners and die in their place. And in fact, since the Father intervenes in this world, through the work of his son. You know, Jesus says, no one comes to the father but through me. If you have seen me, you have seen the father, etc. As the Lord visits Abraham, as it's most probably one person of the Trinity visiting, then the one who is visiting Abraham in Genesis is most likely the second person of the Trinity. This is Jesus in human form, long before he becomes flesh, born of Mary. So, as a, here, here in, in, in this text, God takes on human form. He walks among sinners. He will uh, judge the wicked and save the righteous. And he also stops and he eats a meal at Abraham's house. And likewise, Jesus in the Gospels takes on human flesh. He walks among sinners. He saves the righteous, declares judgment upon the wicked. And all along the way throughout the Gospels, where does he eat? He keeps on eating in the home of sinners. Second, this story has parallels to the Annunciation, the the conception of Jesus when the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary. All right. So so here, the Lord announces that Sarah will have a son. And when Sarah laughs, the Lord says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And the expected answer, of course, is no. When the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and tells her that that she will conceive the Son of the Most High by the work of the Holy Spirit. She asks, how can this be since I am a virgin? And in part, Gabriel responds and says, for with God, nothing is impossible. So you can kind of, you know, th- those, those two statements go together. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. With God, all things are possible. And so as, as Isaac is a miracle child born to Sarah, who is too old to have kids, Jesus, of course, is a miracle child born to Mary, who as a virgin shouldn't be having a child either. Both are miracle children in different ways as part of God's plan for salvation. And both Isaac and Jesus are are part of God's plan for salvation as he, their their results, their, their parts of his promises so that you and I might be forgiven. 
At the start of Genesis 21, then I guess thirdly, it says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. So, so when the conception of Isaac is, is described, it's not just Abraham and Sarah, but the conception and the birth take place because the Lord visits them. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's maybe a little bit startling to hear that language, but again, that, that foreshadows Mary conceives Jesus because the Lord overshadows her. He visits her, and so Jesus is conceived. And again, in the case of Isaac, is Abraham and Sarah a man and a woman whom God uses for conception? In the case of Jesus, it's uh, uh, that Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit, no man involved, and born of the Virgin Mary. One more way this text points to Jesus, and that is with the help of, of a couple of verses from Hebrews chapter 11. It's Hebrews 11, verses 11 and 12, where we read, By faith... Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All right, so, so Hebrews 11 makes a big point that Abraham and Sarah are old. They shouldn't be able to have a kid. And in fact, Hebrews 11 describes Abraham as as good as dead. Yet by faith, they believe in the promise that God has made. So by faith, they get a twinkle in their eye and, and Isaac is conceived and he's born. And, and through Isaac then is, is born Jacob. And Jacob has, has many sons. And so you have this nation of Israel, this innumerable people who result because Abraham and Sarah believed the promise. And Isaac was conceived. Abraham was as good as dead. Well, on the cross, Jesus is as good as dead because... He is dead. He dies for our sins. But then he rises again on the third day. And because he is risen from the dead, the Holy Spirit continues to call, gather, enlighten, and sanctify his people into the church. And as St. Paul says in Galatians 4.28 and elsewhere, we are children of the promise. We are God's people for the sake of Jesus. And so God's people are now innumerable in number, like the sands of the seashore or the stars of the heavens. And so as through Abraham, one as good as dead, this whole nation of Israel develops. So also through Jesus, who was dead on the cross and then rose again, the church becomes God's holy and innumerable people. All right, so, so this is a great text along the way as Isaac is finally conceived and born. Sometimes it takes a while before God fulfills his promises, but God does fulfill his promises. So, um, 
God grants you every good gift as you meditate upon this text. God bless you if you're teaching it to others. And uh, until we speak again, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.